With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, the show is back after one episode in like a week. I think, uh, and that episode came out only because I pre-recorded it with Adam Spinella because I was planning on going to the beach with my wife. Uh, Mark Schindler is here with me today, and I'm super excited. We're going to do the subject that I think defined 2022 the most in NBA basketball, and it's that uh, this was the season that I think redefined what it is to be a superstar in the NBA in some ways. You look across the league, there are there is more talent than ever across the league. And I kind of want to talk about what all of that means moving forward. Um, But I've also been super sick. So I'm very, very uh, happy that you guys are here uh, and have stuck with the show a little bit after the last week where I have been basically unavailable because I lost like eight pounds in two days because I couldn't keep any food down. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for, uh, Spending your December 30th with us. December 31st, if you're over in Australia, by the way, it's New Year's Eve. Mark, what's going on, buddy? Man, uh, well, first of all, I'm glad that you're starting to feel better finally. Um, but yeah, dude, it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind. I, I tweeted this out yesterday. It feels like it's just been a perpetual Saturday um, since like the 23rd. So yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I feel like I haven't. Uh, I've done a million things while simultaneously doing not enough. So it's been uh, it's been wild trying to catch up on everything uh the last week while also staying on top of family coming in all that exciting stuff but we have a yeah we have a ton to dive into man yeah my uh we decided to have family over to our place we were like oh man like you know we're gonna do first christmas at our house here in australia we're super excited i spent all of christmas in bed we had like nine or ten people here everyone was having a great time people were like drinking until like 11 o'clock here (laughs) super fun I was in bed trying not to like trying to keep food in my system basically and like couldn't function really. Uh, It was very disappointing for Christmas, but I'm back. I'm healthy again and I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So as usual, we'll start with what we're going to finish with, which is Cam Whitmore. Mark's prospect of the week this week is the Villanova six foot seven, 225 pound wing Cam Whitmore who has had an interesting first few games to his collegiate career. And we want to break it down. He just had a terrific matchup last night or two nights ago. Can't remember at this point uh, with yeah. Andre Jackson at Connecticut, who is one of the best defensive players in college basketball. Then we're going to, you know, from there earlier on in the show, we're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets who are one of the hottest teams in the NBA and have been really, really good. Uh, They are, basically tied with the New Orleans Pelicans atop the West right now. Uh, Pelicans might've pulled ahead by like a half game last night. Is that right? Uh, I'm checking right now. I think it's close. Cause I know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're, t- they're tied at 22 yeah. and 12. And I think nuggets are just below. Right. So 
really, really excited to talk about the Nuggets because I feel like I haven't talked about them enough this year, especially for how good Nikola Jokic has been. We're going to talk a lot about Aaron Gordon, I would imagine, because I think Aaron Gordon's been one of the most exciting players in the league this year uh, for how his game has really translated around the pieces that the Denver Nuggets have. But we're going to start with what I think is the biggest topic of 2022, and it is this is the year, I think, where we've seen the biggest overlap of eras, maybe in NBA superstar history. Mark, I'll just kind of give you the floor before I give my spiel. When I tell you that I think that the league is deeper with superstars than ever, what is your immediate reaction? Uh, I think I would agree with that because, like you mentioned, uh, like when you look at what the top is, um, and I guess you know what you're con- considering superstars, what can you know, deduce it down a little bit. I, to me, I think I consider that top 15 guys, like the 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 all NBA players. Um, and it's hard to disagree. Like, I think what's so difficult is that, like, I haven't even tried to conjure a, an all NBA list right now because that just feels like a nightmare waiting to happen. Because I tried to do MVP last week and I went back like a week later. I was like, wow, this was terrible. But, um, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think that there are so many guys who are all performing at a high level and not just a high level, like a legitimate, like floor raising, super, super impactful level right now. Um, like you can even look at like he hasn't played much this year, but I just think like, OK, Brandon Ingram was a clear cut all NBA guy last year um, and he's still reintegrating when with with what their full big three is now. But um, then you look at it and it's like, OK, well, now his his. his his usage is down. Things are different. Like you just looking at how talented the league is. I think you can, you can definitely project out and say like, yeah, there's more superstars now than there have been a while. I think part of that is a uh, pace definitely plays a big part in that um, pace and just like emphasis on early offense. I think it's had a huge impact on that. That's just my uh, guess on that. But um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, I'm, I'm excited to hear what, what you're thinking though. So I think that what I keep coming back to is that this is kind of the first time in league history, it feels like, where the intersection of like science with players playing longer than ever has intersected with this intense depth of like prime superstars like your, I'll kind of get into like the different eras of it in a second here, mixed with like young superstars who emerged immediately from the jump from day one and were ready to go basically. And that's not necessarily normal where guys are ready to come into the NBA and just be stars by year four. Like Zion Williamson, John Morant being superstars immediately from the jump. Looking back through league history, like that's not exactly typical. Trey Young being able to lead a team to the Eastern Conference Finals in what I remember was year three or four, that's not normal. And by the way, like there's not a case for Trey Young to be a top 15 player in the league right now. Mm-hmm. That's how good the league is. Trey Young is averaging 28 and 10 per game right now. And Trey Young has been phenomenal. And I don't mean this to denigrate him as a player. He's been great. But just frankly, you look across the league, you can't get there. Like, 
I can't at the very least, maybe other people can, but you, you just look, there's this era of older superstar, right? Your Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, LeBron James certainly fits into this mix still. I think he still qualifies within this by all stretch of the imagination. Damian Lillard is having a phenomenal year as well. Yeah, like the Portland Trailblazers are in the NBA playoffs right now uh, based off the standings because Damian Lillard has been absolutely phenomenal. So th- that's like the, you know, 33 and over tier of NBA superstar. Then you look at like the prime superstars, the guys who like, should you know currently be running the league but because the older guys are so good and the younger guys are coming it feels like it's a chase every time like your Nikola Jokic who's won back-to-back MVPs Giannis Antetokounmpo who I think is like regularly defined as the best player in the league um Joel Embiid who's leading the league in scoring right now like across the you know Anthony Davis who before his injury was a top five player in the league like it felt like based off the way he was carrying the Los Angeles Lakers on both ends of the court Pascal Siakam is a guy that you know if any other era Pascal Siakam averages what he's averaging which is currently 27 points nine rebounds and seven assists that guy is first team all NBA Straight up. And we can talk about the increase in pace of play. We can talk about the way that the increase in pace of play has led to the explosion of individual statistics. But it, it 27, 9, and 7 goes beyond that level to me. And mm-hmm. that's how good Pascal Siakam has been this year. And again, like Siakam is a borderline top 15 player, not because he's been, you know, any worse than normal. It's just that the league is so deep. Then you look at the guys who are emerging into superstars and have quickly become them. Luka Doncic just went for 60, 20, and 10. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's unbelievable. And then you look at Jason Tatum, who led the Boston Celtics to an L, to an NBA Finals last year and is an all-NBA player. John Morant has immediately turned around the Memphis Grizzlies. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is averaging 30 points a night and looks absolutely incredible. Uh Zion Williamson is leading the New Orleans Pelicans to the top of the Western Conference this year and is the greatest force of putting pressure on the basket that we've seen, I don't know, in a long time at the very least. So all of these things are intersecting at once across the league. And I can't remember a season where we've had this much talent. And by the way, like in the prime section, I didn't mention Devin Booker. Devin Booker is another guy that's just like absolutely phenomenal. And he kind of like fits in the middle of those two uh, eras of like future stars and like entering their prime stars, right? Like just the sheer number of players that are in the league right now that are performing at a high level. Didn't even mention Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Sneakily, by the way, Kawhi Leonard if you look at his like per minute plus minus right now, it's like top of the league. Like when he is on the court, the Clippers are like maybe the best team in the NBA right now. And over his last seven games, he's averaging, I think it is 22.7 rebounds, four assists on 54% from the field and 39% from three again. Like we haven't even gotten fully operational Kawhi this season. And this is where we're at. The league has never been deeper with stars. There's like not a case for Carl uh, Anthony Towns to be like a top 20, 25 player in the league. That's how good the league is right now. Carl Anthony Towns has made all NBA teams before. 
So like, I am just blown away by the talent in the, in the NBA right now. There's just no way to look at the NBA in terms of where it is and not be incredibly happy with the product. The product on the court is better than it's ever been. I think just straight up there's, there are more teams that are great. There are more fans that are interested because there are better players than ever. This is an unequivocal successful season for the NBA because we have this incredible intersection of superstar eras that we just haven't seen before league wide. Mark, that is the end of my rant. I, I love the NBA Mark. Yeah. Please, I mean, give, even, give me I mean, just to go off that too, like think about it, like from uh, for me, I think what stands out, you look at some of the mid tier teams and that's not to say bad, but like, you know, looking at teams that are on the outside, looking in for home court advantage in the playoffs. And those are teams where, okay, if you're, top guy is playing well, which for the most part, if you're the sixth seed, you have somebody who's playing close to all NBA level. And like, okay, think of the the Pacers and the Kings. Like Tyrese Halliburton's leading the league in assists right now. He's averaging over 20 points per game. He's not going to make all NBA this year. Same thing with like, okay, De'Aaron Fox is having the best season of his career. And I would really struggle to put him on an all NBA team. Same thing with Demonis Sabonis. Like he's been, this has been the yeah. best year of his career. And those are two guys, like I think in past years, those guys make all NBA teams with how well they're playing. Demonis Sabonis has been unbelievable this year. He has yeah. been absolutely incredible. I do not think there is a case for him as a top 25 player in the league. And that is absolutely bonkers. Like, I can get to 25 before I get to Demonis Sabonis, like relatively easily. And that is not because Demonis Sabonis isn't great. It's because the league is deeper with talent than ever. Uh, I just named in the intro to this show, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I think I got to like 19 guys just like in the start yeah. of this show. And that's not including Jalen Brown. It's not including, you mentioned Brandon Ingram. I didn't mention him. Like you can go across the board. Kyrie, think whatever you want about Kyrie. I mean, what he's doing offensively this year next to Kevin Durant is phenomenal in leading the Brooklyn Nets, right? So like, I, I can't remember a time where like the different eras of like the over 30 superstar, the prime superstar and like the theoretical future superstar intersected at once into like all being ready to go right now. Yeah. And another layer too, like, again, like I think Powell makes an all-star team most years. And again, like I think with what the East front court's going to be this year, I don't know, man, uh, but he's been otherworldly. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think it's been pretty special to watch, especially considering like, I think I always try and, and not saying that you don't, but I always try and come from a, an angle of appreciating every era for what it has been. Like I grew up, um, you know, getting to watch some, you know, not exactly a great Eastern conference when LeBron was with the Cavs, his first run. Um, you know, you maybe had like two or three real contenders in the East every year. And even then it felt like a little bit short because like, again, like, you know, 2013, 14, you have the, fucking spurs and clippers playing each other in the first round and that was insane like that's 255 like it's just it's different it's definitely different um so you know i feel like it's something that i'm going to need more time to contextualize as the next couple of years go on and how that plays out because i I totally agree with you like i thought dame was going to take a step back this year just given injuries same thing with lebron and i do think like lebron's taking a little bit of a step back but that's more like 
from you know being the best player in the world to like still a top ten player. Um, it's it it is kind of just wild to look at. Yeah, it, it's it, it's genuinely crazy. Like I I don't I don't mean to like rank like do MVP rankings and everything like that. Uh, but like I, I can't even come close to building an MVP ballot at this point. I mean, Luka Doncic has been incredible this year. Like he, he just had a 60, 20, 10. I, I don't know if we've talked about that enough on this podcast yet. Luka Doncic had a 60, 20, 10. I don't care if the game went to overtime or not. That is impossible to me. That is like a genuinely impossible outcome to me uh, in today's NBA. How, how did he do that? Mark, please tell me. <laughs> he was unreal. If we're being honest, like, I think that one was tough. A, the curse of me writing about a team and then them shitting the bed lives on because the Knicks just lost to the Spurs yesterday. And you can say whatever you want about they didn't have Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett. They lost to a, they lost to this Spurs team. They, they hung 75 and three quarters on this Spurs team. So that's like, no, I, I don't want to hear it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, their defense has been – the Knicks' defense has been rock solid in December. And Luka was just – I mean – some of the stuff that he was hitting and, and pulling out was was unreal. The 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 shot he hit with I think three seconds left to to tie the game was a bank in shot, and it, it was just the kind of night he was having. Like he, it didn't matter what defender they had on him. Uh, it didn't matter what they threw at him. He was getting everything and anything he wanted uh, because the rim was just may as well have been the ocean. Um, right. That's one of the best individual performances I think I've ever seen. Um, yeah. And not even like I mean that that's easy top five for me. Like that was that was crazy crazy basketball, especially too because they were down nine with I think thirteen seconds left, and ended up winning the game. So that was a that was wild to watch. I was almost I was almost about to turn my TV off, um, and then that happened. So that was fun, man. He's like you mentioned. I mean, he's been he's been unreal, and I. There, you could legitimately have, like, I would not scoff at somebody who made an MVP ballot and he's only fifth on it. So, well, that, that's the crazy thing. So, Joel Embiid plays for a 20 and 13 team. He's leading the NBA in scoring. I think I probably would have him top five in MVP right now, but I think you can make a credible MVP ballot that does not have him. That's how deep this lead. Like, if you had Nikola Jokic ahead of him, I'd be like, "Well, I can't really argue that." Uh, if you had Giannis ahead of him, I'd be like, "No, yeah, okay, sounds good." Like, I, I, I get that, right? Uh, if you had Jason Tatum ahead of him, if you had Kevin Durant ahead of him, I'd be like, "Well, yeah, both those guys have been absolutely like impossible this year." If you had Luka Doncic ahead of him, can't say anything to you. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Joel Embiid is leading the NBA in scoring. He is been very good defensively since those first 10 games and he's so the league is so good that like I just can't even be like oh my god he needs to be there because everyone else has been so good that's the like whenever fans are like oh my god this guy needs to be here that guy needs to be here it's just like well, well, you, you have know, to take somebody else out. Player. Like exactly, like that's take them out, man. Like yeah. and like I, I, I've been there for, like I'm someone who almost always will answer that question. Like, who do you take out? And I'll be like, well, you know, I take out, take out Damian Lillard, take out you know whoever, 
right? Uh, especially like in draft conversations. Well, I'll take out Malachi Brand. I'm not like the biggest fan of him pre-draft last year, right? Ooh. No statement on what he's done the last no. 10 games. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I just, I don't know who you remove this year. That's the thing. And that's why it's it's almost like if you have 15 first team all NBA performances, which I think like we probably have had this year based off of literally everything I just stated. If you have 15 first team all NBA performances, how do you sort through that? I actually don't know how to sort through that at this point. Yeah, no, exactly. Like it's, it's really difficult. I, I am part of the reason why I'm glad that I don't have to worry about that is uh, like not having an actual official vote makes it, much easier on me because I would lose sleep on that. That is, uh, especially with how much money can be tied to stuff. I'm, I, I am not excited about those debates. Um, I'm just excited to enjoy the basketball because like you mentioned, that's, uh, like Donovan Mitchell is having the best season of his career. He's almost averaging like 34 and five on 50, 40, 90. And he might not make an all NBA team. Like I think he's pretty close, (laughs) but like, Exactly. Like I, I'm just supposed to leave that guy off. Like what it's, yeah, it's, it's unreal, man. Donovan Mitchell. It's like, it's like Donovan Mitchell or Damian Lillard. Right. So like here, here are your guards. So you have six first team all NBA guards, right? Luka Doncic, you have Stephen Curry. Steph's been out for a little while, but like Steph was hitting what, like basically his 2016 MVP level. Yeah. Like he was very close. So you have Luca, you have Steph, you have Devin Booker, you have John Morant, you have Shea Gildas Alexander, you have Damian Lillard, you have um, Donovan Mitchell, that's six. You have Trey Young, who I mentioned, who's averaging 28 and 10. You have Darren Fox, who's been absolutely terrific. Like you have um, Kyrie Irving, who, I mean, again, like I, I just want to know Kyrie is averaging 26, yeah. 5 and 5 on 49 36 91 yeah uh, and steadily too like james harden's been really damn good since he came james back harden's been great yeah so like it's uh, yeah dude it, it and that's without like mentioning like uh, i mean he'll be forward eligible but i i think he has guard eligibility too but like jimmy butler's still been really damn good this year although miami hasn't um i think paul george is gonna have guard eligibility again like it and also man shout out paul george's passing this year Paul George mm-hmm. has like hit a new level as a playmaker that's been really damn fun to watch, um, which is cool. But just wanted, yeah, to that yeah. Paul George is averaging twenty four six and five on forty five thirty eight eighty eight. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> and what about, what about when Desmond Bain gets back? And uh, what about and when, like, like yeah, like Desmond Bain was averaging twenty five a game. Jaron Jackson looks like the best defender in the NBA on a permanent basis, right? Like, also, again, I mean, Desmond, you know what I mean? Yeah, back to back to that level, but yeah, like I, I can't get to the point where I a top where I have the guy who is basically the best defender in the NBA. I basically can't get him to where he's like a top twenty five player in the league. Yeah. Like that, that's that's how deep the league is talent wise. That Jaron Jackson can't really like even be in the like I guess he could be in the conversation, but I, I don't think you're getting very far in the conversation, right? Like, I mean, wh- where would you have Rudy Gobert right now? Not who just got there. traded for how many first round picks? Like 
three first round picks plus three other like guys who were drafted in the first round. I mean, he's I not mean, touching the conversation for me right now. He's not touching the top 30. Yeah. Which is crazy. Like Rudy, like people almost have Rudy like in the MVP conversation two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is the league has exploded in terms of guys maturing into being superstars while the older group of stars has not yet left. Right. And it's led to a transcendent season of basketball. I think I mentioned this. Did we talk about this earlier in the year? There's like two teams league wide. I think that you can say don't have like a true superstar, right? Like, Pascal Siakam, I think I would define as one right now. as like a like genuine star. Um, the Detroit Pistons, I think, have Cade Cunningham, and he's like a future star. It, the way that I defined it was either don't have a current star or don't have a future star, mm-hmm. right? So, like, the Pistons think Cade Cunningham's a star, so they're building toward that, right? Um, you know, the Houston Rockets think Jalen Green is a star. Uh, they're building toward that. LaMelo Ball has been really good. He had like, what, 31 in 10 last night or something crazy. Uh, LaMelo Ball is like not a top 30 player in the NBA. There's Mm -hmm. just almost no way to really get him in that mix. Like you take the Aaron Fox right now over LaMelo Ball, right? Uh, Yeah, I think for for what the season's been, yeah. Yeah, like right now. Not to Mm -hmm. say like in... Two years, LaMelo won't surpass him. I think there's a pretty good chance he does. But, like, right now, if you have to win a game, you are taking, you know, De'Aaron Fox, I think, basically. Yeah. Uh, but back to my point, like, there are two teams, basically. Like, the Knicks, I think, don't really have, like, a superstar. Like, Jalen Brunson's been great this year. But, like, I think he kind of fills into that level just slightly below. And then the Spurs. Like, the Spurs don't really have the guy that they're looking for at this point yet. Everyone else has someone to be incredibly excited about. Everyone else is someone that you can just be like, oh my God, this guy's great. And even the Knicks, like, I'd be pumped about Jalen Brunson if I was a Knicks fan. I don't think he's an all-star, to be honest, like completely. But like, I think he has a real case for it. And mm-hmm. if he ends up one, I'm not going to like trash the pick or anything. Like I would pick, you know, sorry, Wally Zerbiak. I would pick Tyrese Halliburton over... Jalen Brunson, and I thought that was a weird drive-by. But, like... Especially, can we just say, too, from, like, one of the fakest all-stars of all time with that drive-by? Like, come on. You make an all-star team, I'm not going to talk shit on your all-star team. I will happily... If you you dish out shit, I'll throw it right back. I think that's fair enough. But, yeah, that was was weird. Yeah. uh, It was a weird drive-by from Wally, I thought, to be honest. Uh, Didn't really need to do it. But... Jalen Brunson has been great this year. Jalen Brunson is currently averaging what 20 and seven right now. I don't think that you can get to the point where Jalen Brunson is a top 30 player in the NBA. Yeah. Like that. That's just like, there's not really a case for it right now. Um, And that's not because he's not great. It's because the league is just so deep with talented players. Uh, if we're at the point where Damanis Sabonis is like the 32nd best player in the NBA, the league is in a great spot. Yes. <laughs> like, think about how good the league is. If this guy that you can run the entire offense through, who averages like 19 and 13 and makes incredible passing reads and does all this stuff, like, 
if that guy's not a top 30 player in the league, like the league's in good hands, baby. Like DeMar DeRozan right now is like, he made second team all NBA last year. He's had a great year. Can't get to him in the top 25. You just can't. There's no way you can get to him there. Yeah. And that's not a, it's not a slight on him. It's on the rest of the league elevating and being as incredible as it has been so far. Um, you know, we just named freaking 40 guys probably before we got to Anthony Edwards, before we got to, uh, you know, you mentioned Paulo earlier. Paulo has been really good. Before we get to Tyrese Maxey, who's been good uh, in the minutes that he played. Uh, Chris Paul is a name we haven't mentioned because Chris Paul is like the one guy that has kind of slipped a little bit this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he turns it up in the playoffs, I don't think anyone will be like blown away by that. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. I just am so grateful to get to watch this era of NBA basketball. I think that that's just where I want to end this conversation. Um, we are at the end of the year. We're at the end of 2022. We're at the end of an incredibly uh, exciting year of basketball. And I'm just so grateful that this is my job and that I get to just hang out and watch these guys every single night because, my God, they're just – they're doing if it's not Luka Doncic doing something special, it's Devin Booker. If it's not Shea Gilgis Alexander, it's Zion Williamson. If it's not LeBron James, it's Damian Lillard, who's doing something like genuinely transcendent. There's something that happens every single night, it feels like that is genuinely transcendent. I agree. I actually do have one last thing to add, uh, just as a quick shout out. Um, just because last time we did talk about it, we were like, okay, well, let's wait and see what happens. Lowry marketing. Still averaging 23, 8 and 2 on 53, 44, 84 shooting. Um, so it's been for real. Like that's almost half a season of data, and he's still there. So just had to show shout, shout that one out because I don't think we talked about the jazz at all. Yeah. And by the way, like I, I don't I don't even know what you do with all-star picks this year. Like, look look at the Western Conference. That's gonna so be a like, fun pod for us to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like Nikola Jokic definitely makes it. Zion Williamson definitely makes it. Um John Morant definitely makes it. Luka Doncic definitely makes it. That's four. Um, I think you have to put Steph on. That's five. Mm. LeBron will make it. That's six. Maybe Anthony Davis doesn't play again, uh, so you don't really have to vote him. Paul George, I think you have to put on. That's seven. Devin Booker, that's eight. Um, Shea Gilders Alexander's nine. Damian Lillard's ten. So now you've got like a free-for-all from – everyone else <laughs> yeah yeah that's gonna be uh, i i can definitely wait to do that because that is gonna be wow that's gonna be fun so like that that's 10 without anthony davis anthony davis would be 11 then you've got the three minnesota ter- or at least the two so like let's remove anthony edwards from this and i think we can remove rudy from this so like maybe towns yeah um like the Jazz, Lowry Markinen, I guess, is like in the mix for that 11-12 spot. Uh, Jeremy Grant is a guy that's been great, by the way. Been awesome this year. Like been absolutely incredible and I think is like deserving of being in this conversation. Uh, you know, another guy that probably can't make the all-star team, even though he's been as good as he's been. Um, yeah, man. It, 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 it's... I, I can't, de- you know, Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, like, 
one of those guys isn't going to make the all-star game this year, which is wild. Uh, this is without considering Kawhi, who maybe you can just leave out due to minutes and because maybe he just doesn't want to play in the all-star game because um, of his... Because he's Kawhi, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because of the quadricep stuff. Like, you know, who knows, right? You There's like 18 guys in the West that would be an all-star like unequivocally. And then the top end of the East is like, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, I think, has to be there. That's five. I think you basically have to put Harden on. That's six. Uh, Siakam, I think, has to be there. That's seven. Um, who who else? Uh, Jimmy Butler and Bam probably both make it. Um, I, I'm not convinced they both make it. I oh, think one, one of them. Like, I guess it. I should say one of them has to. Um, yeah. and it will probably be Bam for me right now, just because Jimmy's missed more time and Bam has been awesome. Like maybe the other than Jaron, I think the best defensive player in basketball right now. Um, I don't know if I would have Trey as an All Star right now. I know he's been like there's just the overall efficiency from the field's been pretty rancid until the last couple of weeks. So if that keeps trending up, maybe. Um, we got to like nine names before Halliburton. Yeah, I, I think he would make it for me. Um, I think Darius Garland too. Like Darius Garland, I think would have to make the team. Yeah, I think we didn't even mention Kyrie. Like Kyrie would have to be on the team. Jalen Brown, like Jalen Brown's another one. Like sneakily, Marcus Smart. No, he's way. been what? No way. Like no way, yeah. like that. Yeah, no, that's exactly, one where it's just like, like what I'm just saying. Like if yeah, yeah, that one. No disrespect to Marcus Smart. Like Thirty he's and five been, for him to make it, but. Yeah, like Marcus Smart has been absolutely great this year. He's been so good on both ends. He's really like taken to playing more point guard more often, right? Like there's so much to be really, really excited about. There's just like no way. (laughs) I mean, once you get to the names, like you actually run through them. Like, can you put Marcus Smart on over Drew Holiday? No, probably not. This is the first time in 35 minutes of talking that Drew Holiday's name has come up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, then like we talked about with Paolo earlier, like, yeah, he's, it is going to be very difficult for him to make the team this year with, with, uh, how... I think he has no chance. I yeah. think he has no chance. Yeah. Damn. This is a good year, man. This is a very fun year of basketball. It's such a good year of basketball. It's so good. And I'm so grateful to get a chance to see it. Like, what, when I say, like, oh, yeah, like, no chance Marcus Smart makes it, it's not a statement on Marcus Smart. Like, that's the thing. Like, that's what I want people to take away from this conversation. Like, I'm not like shit talking any player. It's just that the league is so good right now. The mm-hmm. league is so deep with talent. And it almost is like, th- this is maybe where we'll close. I feel like this year has like almost redefined what, like, superstar is in the NBA based off of all of that. Like we talk about guys like pre-draft, right. That come in and we're super excited about like someone like, Oh yeah. Like this could be like a Bradley Beal kind of guy. Bradley Beal is like not a top 15 player in the league right now. That's how good the league is. If you end up drafting Bradley Beal at number three, you're fucking ecstatic. Or if you draft Mm -hmm. him at number two, you're absolutely ecstatic and it's great. That guy's, probably not a top 15 player in the league and you probably need another like an actual number one option to be a contender for an nba championship like 
Think about how good Bradley Beal is. Bradley Beal is amazing at basketball. There's like five guys on planet Earth that can create a shot better than Bradley Beal, maybe. He is so good. And he still is like not quite good enough to like be the number one guy on a great team is the Washington Wizards are showing this year. Yeah. It's just hard. The NBA is just so deep and so talented and so good. Um, I hope that nobody took like, you know, these drive-by shots is like, can't get the Sabonis in top 30. Can't get Bradley Beal in top 15. Like I'm not taking shots. It's just like everyone else is so good. Everybody else in the league is so, so good that it's so, so exciting to see. Um, okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. And then we're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets, who are one of the best teams in the NBA. I think that's basically unequivocal at this point. All right, Mark, let's dive in Denver Nuggets. I'm going to give you the floor to start because my rant on NBA superstardom, it felt like went very long. Tell me what you have enjoyed about the Denver Nuggets recently as they have won eight out of their last 10 games and look like they're going to be certainly there at the end of the season in the Western Conference. Yeah, I think the biggest... Uh, well, I, gosh, biggest. There are multiple things to really pull from this. Number one, like Nicole Jokic has been awesome. Um, if you remove, and this, so this is doing some heavy lifting, but think of it like, okay, just taking the last three weeks. Um, so that's Xing out the loss they had to Portland where they fell apart in the last minute and Dame went crazy. Um, the, so their last time games, they're seven and two, they're sixth in offense, um, 10th in defense. But I think the, I mean, a Nicole Jokic has been amazing. Um, he's averaging a triple double over that span on 61, 33, 81 shooting while getting the line nine times. Um, you just don't see that. It's been unreal. Uh, like to see him up his scoring volume the way he has has been a necessary because of what they've needed from him this year and just what he can get to. Um, but I think to me, the biggest thing that I've taken from like uh, their title chances is Jamal Murray has really started to look comfortable again and kind of back to who he is um, or who he can be, I should say. Yeah. And that's been awesome to watch. Like they're again, their latest game against the Kings, uh, not this one, actually the one before the one that they won. Um, that was one of the better games from him. I think in terms of seeing what he can do, bringing that shot making, um, bringing the comfort comfortability he has off the dribble. And he just has that element of like, it obviously he's not Dame, but the same like shot creation type of like, okay, well he's taking this contested tough shot that's pulling up from 30 feet and you just can't really do anything about it because he's small Murray and he's in that, that mode right now. He gets to the rim, which I think is something that they really missed early on in the season um, outside of cuts, like having a ball handler who can really get there themselves, I think was something that they missed. Um, and he's really continuing to show that uh, he's been part of like, they've been better at staggering their, their bench lineup to make it, a little bit more functional and he's been a huge part of that um and his playmaking's really popped this year as well like i think he's always had good playmaking shots but this year has been really really good um and obviously part of that you know it helps playing against playing with arguably the best basketball player in the world but um 
it's been really nice to see him find his footing again because it was pretty on and off for the first month and a half of the season, but it really has felt um, mostly consistent, even with him not playing back-to-back still. So I, I think that where I want to start, I do want to get to Murray in a second here because I think it's really, really important. But I don't think we talked about enough about what Nikola Jokic is doing in that yeah. last section that we just did. Uh, so Dirk Nowitzki won MVP in 2007, right? In that season, per 100 possessions, so we're going to try and account for pace here, right? Because everyone talks about games so much faster, numbers are inflated, etc. cetera, right? Um, that year, Dirk averaged 36 points, 13 rebounds, while shooting 50, 40, 90 from the field uh, per 100 possessions, right? Uh, Nikola Jokic so far, let, let's even say this, Nikola Jokic since the start of last season, so we have a 105-game sample, is averaging 39 points per 100 possessions. So averaging more points than Dirk in his prime as a scorer per 100 possessions. 18.8 rebounds, so like dwarfing it, while also being the best passer in the league and averaging 12 assists per 100 possessions, right? I think that we're at the point here where it's like almost unequivocal that Nikola Jokic has peaked higher than Dirk ever did. Right? Like this is, this is where we're at with Nikola Jokic. He is every bit as good of a scorer as Dirk Nowitzki was. And numbers bear that out. Like we can just be real about it and like have an adult conversation about it while also being the best passer in the league. He is just as good of a scorer while being the best passer in the NBA. That's how good he is. That's how good Nikola Jokic is. This is a top 20 player of all time. Dirk Nowitzki yeah. is a top 20 player of all time. And Jokic's prime has exceeded him. We're looking at genuinely a historic player in Nikola Jokic. I understand that like people discount him because he hasn't made a run in the playoffs yet. And I understand that like people want to discount the fact that like he has won two MVPs. There's a reason he's won two MVPs. It's because we're looking at a historic player, not just a great player. He is a historically relevant offensive player in today's NBA. There's no way to look at it otherwise. He is as good as Dirk at scoring the basketball, and he is the best passer in the NBA. He has added being Dirk Nowitzki into being the best passer in the NBA. That's impossible. That is what we get to watch every night with Nikola Jokic. Yeah, he's special, man. Um, I think the biggest thing, kind of like you mentioned, uh, it's that same it, – it's kind of how it felt for me like during watching LeBron during his second run with Cleveland. Like, obviously, he was unreal when he was my in Miami. Like, I think 2014 LeBron is the best athlete I've ever seen, like just hands down, period. Like, I've never seen anybody who has – a looked that athletic and been that dominant through their sheer physical ability. And obviously he thought the game at an incredible level. It's not to discount that at all. But I think when you saw him get to that second time in Cleveland, like you really saw the way that he processes and feels the game. And that was just like him hitting a new level and really um, 
picking apart the court without while also figuring out out how to kind of like pump the brakes sometimes. And I think you see that same level with, with Jokic this year where it's just like, I mean, he's thinking like three or four steps ahead of some of, of, of defenses. And there's just really not a a lot teams can do to counter it. Like things that they're throwing out to try and counter him. He's already countering and, um, and that goes into the scoring and the passing. And it's just been, I mean, it's really incredible stuff. Um, he's unreal to watch. Like he's 27, like he's two years older than me and he is doing this stuff, which is like, to me, that's kind of wild. Cause I remember seeing him play for the first time, like, and the debates of should they trade Nurkic or, or Jokic? Like, who do you keep? And like, that just is so funny to look back on. Um, and like, just thinking about what that entire development track has been like is, is pretty wild. Um, so seeing where he's at now is, yeah, like I don't really know how I could go about explaining it to somebody without just showing them hours upon hours of clips going like, this is fucking amazing. Like, I don't, I don't know how you um, like you, there's no real comparison for it. So like, so how has he done it? Right. Is kind of the question. I think the processing is better. He has a better assist rate than he's ever had uh, in his career so far this year, 45.3, which is bonkers. That's an insane number for every reason. Um, he has a 68.8 true shooting percentage this year. And largely it's because his free throw rate is better than it's ever been. I mean, he, he just absolutely has figured out a way to live at the foul line in a way that even previously, I don't want to say that like he, uh, he certainly has never ever in history been a contact avoider, but I think that like officials might be finally coming around to how people play him physically and try to like bump him as much as they can to frustrate him. And they're starting to give him the like respect that he so deserves. It feels like this is like an example and everybody needs or everyone needs a smile on YouTube in the comments as we're talking here brings up. Do you think the incredible play we get to see almost everywhere is quote unquote immunizing fans against realizing just how historically great some of these guys are? I kind of think that's right. Like, I, I actually think that because there's greatness all around us, we are underestimating just how impossible some of what's happening on a night to night basis is. And you can talk maybe a little bit about like how it is easier to score in the NBA now than it was in the 90s, I guess. Having said that, like offensive, you know, offensive rating league wide, it's at a higher point than it's been in the last 20 years, you know, maybe 16 years, but it's not like at a historic clip or anything. Like it's not like the 1970s. Um, It's like a league history wise. I think it's like in the middle band in terms of like scoring efficiency in terms of like historical, what you can expect on a per possession basis and pace of play is not like drastically higher than it's ever been or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so these numbers that people are putting up are incredibly, they're not like you have to do some gymnastics to compare eras. Always. Obviously the context matters here. What Michael Jordan did in the era that he did it in where guys were like tackling him on the perimeter and like trying to like literally get their hand like on his arm constantly. I don't know if we'll see something like that again. 
necessarily. But what Jokic has done is if this is the skill era of basketball, he's the most skilled guy right now. And he's weaponized that skill better than I think anyone has on offense since like prime LeBron, if we're being completely real with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like you mentioned, I think the biggest thing is just he, uh, the counters are unreal. Like, I think that's kind of, I, I think I agree that part of it has been refs for sure, but also he's just gotten really good at, okay, if I get somebody up in the air, I'm drawing contact. Like I'm, I'm going into you and, and, and getting to the foul line. He's been awesome at that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like just for, for reference, like he's always been ungodly touch mid range guy, but shooting 61% on like floater area shots right now, 64% from, from 14 feet to, to the arc. I mean, 61% total on mid-range shots, and it's like it never feels like, uh, like it's incorrect, like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. Um, I'm trying to think where. I mean, obviously, like we can we can keep talking on Jokic, but the biggest thing has been guys around him too. I think that yeah. this team is really starting to click in that way, and that's been important. Uh, I have been on record like I thought his defense was a joke to start the year compared to what he's capable of doing. I don't think it's never as bad as I think people try and pin it out to be one of my least favorite parts about Twitter is how people can clip games, especially in a negative fashion to, to try and point things out in a way that I don't think is fully indicative of an entire game. Um, But I also am not going to go out there and defend Jokic and say that he's been a good defender this year. I think it's been a lot better over the last couple of weeks while they've been on on the seven and two stretch in the last few yep. weeks, I think it's been good again, or at least up to solid. But a lot of it's just been the backline rotations have been awesome from the team. Um, like they finally feel a little bit more cohesive and gelled together in that facet, which has been really important because that has not been the case for much of the year. Like they were 28th in defense, I think, a week ago, and they're up to 25th, which that doesn't seem like much of a leap, but it takes a, it's really hard to climb up defensively when you are that far down. So, um, yeah, that's been nice to see. Like, I just think overall, again, the, the rotations have been good. They've been really good playing close to the level of the screen as they like to do. Um, I've loved Christian Brown and his activity. He's fit in so well on the team. Like, there's obviously a million places to go before him. But, like, it, even then, like, Michael Porter Jr. is still not great defensively. He's been a lot better this year in terms of just overall activity level, being big and in the right places. Like, chasing guys can still be a, a nightmare for him. But, again, it's the – Compared to what it has been, I feel a lot better about him moving forward. And that's also well noting like he hasn't been quite back offensively, but he's still been very damn good. Um, he just had like his best game of the season in that game, that first game against the Kings when they won. Uh, I think he scored 30 in that game, if I remember correctly. And that's what I mean, like I'm totally pussyfooting around. Like Aaron Gordon has been awesome this year. Like Aaron Gordon's been really damn good. I'm not yeah. going to have him on my all-defense team at the moment. I don't think that he's been that. But offensively, um, they've really empowered him to do a lot of bringing the ball up when Jokic isn't doing it. Um, I think part of that was, you know, Jamal missing part of the beginning of the season too. But, like, um, he's been really he, – he's found, like, the kind of the perfect blend of um, self-creation because I think this is his highest uh, highest percentage of, of unassisted shots in doubt in in denver but obviously not nearly back to what it was at um when he was in in orlando because as as we were both aware that was that was you know for for what kind of basketball that denver needs to play that was that was too high but um 
he's caught out a lot of the threes that he was taking in prior years, turning them into drives now. And I think that's one of the things I've really liked because he's a guy who no matter how many shots he takes from three, like unless he's hitting like 37, 38% on wide open spot offs, which he has not been doing the past couple of years, other than like, obviously like the first full season in Denver, he shot really well, but that fell apart a little bit in the, in the, um, as things went aside, but, um, like he's been driving a lot more. He's been so good off the catch. Um, his synergy with Jokic has always been good, but this is like the yeah. pinnacle of it. Um, yep. he's taking the most shots he has at the rim in his career. And that's been huge for him. It just finally feels like this is the year where Aaron Gordon is like, Oh, Hey, I'm six foot eight, 220 pounds with some ball skills. I'm going to play like that. Um, Cause he's always had a little bit of a tendency to get into like, he loves those fall away shots, especially inside the arc. I think those are the things that have always really tanked him. Cause like he's been, yeah, he's good at attacking players with post-ups. If he's close to the basket, the second it's a mid post thing, it's over and defenses are winning. Um, and I think he's really cut out a lot of that stuff this year. while also doing the post-up things that are beneficial from him. Uh, it's just been like, kind of like the perfect image of what you envisioned him being in an offense. It's the perfect compliment for Jokic in a yeah. lot of ways, right? And it's the exact player that you would want to put in between Jokic and Porter, I think, particularly. Um, the, the thing that I wanted to bring up with the Nuggets, you mentioned the defense, right? Like the defense statistically has not been very good this year, but I think it's a little bit better in terms of the way it's going to translate to the playoffs, and in terms of the way that it's going to continue to like climb up the ranks, then what people think as they get healthier and continue to get more minutes from their stars, uh, the lineup that they thought was going to be their best lineup this year, right? So it, it's, you know, Jamal Murray, it's Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic. Um, do you know that team's, defensive rating is right now that five-man lineup it's pretty good if i remember correctly isn't it yeah it's 100.2 it's actually very good yeah it's like would be one of the better lineups defensively in the league uh they have a lot of lineup combinations like that that feature let's say four of those guys or three of those guys that are actually like pretty okay um the christian brown bruce brown combination uh with KCP Gordon and Jokic, that's at a hundred point nine. Um, you know, the Jamal Murray, Christian Brown, Caldwell Pope, Gordon, Jokic, fivesome. That's at 103.7. Uh the lineup they've played most this year is Jamal Murray, Contavious, Caldwell Pope, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. That's at 112.6. That's like a non-disaster defensive lineup given how good that offensive lineup is going to be so the lineups where they've just really struggled is when they have to take three of those guys off the court right like you have to play your bones highlands bones has been fun to watch offensively this year uh has struggled defensively the, the lineups with bones out there have not been great defensively um your jeff greens the big one minutes with the andre jordan we got to end them. They got to yeah. do something at the deadline to end those minutes because. Well, and that's, I mean, that's to dive in too. Like a number one, I was wrong on the Aaron Gordon thing. I missed I was still looking at Jokic's stats and realized that he did not shoot well his first year in, in Denver, but point stands. Um, 
But what's been cool, uh, obviously it sucks that Jeff Green has been out, but to be fair, like he's not been very good this year outside of like he's had some monster dunks, which um, like, I mean, you know this about me. I love Jeff Green. He's one of my favorite players all time. Hoya legend. Um, but yeah, he's not been he's not been great this year. Uh, but a lot of that has been the entire bench. Like their bench yeah. unit was just blah. Like I think uh, DeAndre Jordan has gotten a lot of flack this year, and I think deservedly, to be honest. Like they've done a lot of like Michael Malone loves continuity and what he's doing. They try and run a lot of the high post uh, split actions with DeAndre Jordan. It just he can make a nice pass every once in a while, but it's not the same. I don't like it. Uh, the defense was so rough with him. Uh, and uh, to be fair, a lot of that too, like Bones Highland has been kind of a disaster this year. Um, I think the pull-up shooting and playmaking has been awesome. The inside of the arc stuff has really failed him this year. Um, yeah. I think part of that is just sample size, him being asked to do a little bit more creation. I think that that can improve with time. And to be fair, like, DeAndre is not a good fit with him at all. Like yeah. part of what worked so well last year is having Boogie. And I know like part of the reason why they didn't re-sign DeMarcus Cousins was because of locker room stuff. Um, like I, I, I believe Mike Singer reported that from the Denver Post. But um, like that worked so well because it was mimicking a lot of what you did with Nicole Jokic. And I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Is like, okay, even if they just had like Mason Plumlee or Kelly Olenek, like I imagine how much better the bench would be. I think that would help Bones a lot. Um, but again, like the defense has been just a nightmare from bones this year. Um, like he gets caught off the ball a ton. He's been picked on at the point of attack routinely. Um, but it's been better lately as they, they, like I mentioned earlier, they started to stagger a little bit more, find more comfortability within that. Um, the bit like having as many options on the wing this year, it doesn't seem like substantial, but like just having Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell Pope and, you know, Christian Brown, even if he's not perfect yet, like he brings a lot of really good things that I think just mimic winning plays. Um, like he attacks the glass, which look one of the best guard rebounders in basketball already. Um, and he's so good functioning with, even without being a, a super willing shooter yet. Um, he cuts incredibly well. Like he just knows how to, how to move in that offense, which that's why they drafted him. It works perfectly. But having three guys who can all do that one last year, it was like, okay, well, we're pointing at you, Devon Reed. Hopefully you can make shit happen. Like that having those options this year, I think like you're talking about, it makes them go from, okay, we have no real versatility defensively because of what our wing room is to, okay, well we can do some pretty funky shit and it might not be perfect, but we have all these guys who can function within our offense and make things a little bit less stringent defensively. And that's huge for what they wanted to do. And they're still figuring that out, but like DeAndre Jordan is playing a lot less in the stretch. I think that's been part of why they've played better bench wise. Um, yeah. With Jeff Green out, I believe he has a hand injury. Uh, they've played Zeke Naji more. I don't have a definitive Zeke take. I just am glad that he's getting run an opportunity. Um, I think you can see the idea of this is a guy who's a lot more mobile. Um, yeah. We can try and do some things with him. He's shooting. It hasn't really fallen yet. But, like, again, like, I, I want to see more about how it's going to play out. Um, but I think there are some encouraging signs. Like, they'll play him with Jokic. They'll play him at solo five. Um, they're trying to do more stuff. And I think for a team that is already good, finding more and more. Like, that's what's – like, we're, we're saying all this stuff, and this is a team that's, like, tied for first in the Western Conference. And, like, we talked totally. about it a week or two ago. Like, we just but, didn't but really have a good read thing, on though. them. 
for them, being at the top of the Western Conference is not how they answer their questions internally. Yeah, right. Oh, for sure. Like for them, they need to make a run to the Western Conference Finals, basically. And I, I think they can do it. Like I absolutely yeah. believe in this team. I think this can be an NBA Finals team. But to me, if I was them, I'd be trying to add a backup center and I'd be trying to add one more wing guy. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't think I would add a wing guy. I think I would add a guard actually, if I was them, if I could um, maybe just one more option, because th- this is something that you kind of brought up with just having a lot of options on the wing, right. Having a lot of different things that you can throw at the problem to solve it right on a night to night basis. And this is something that like, I think Samson folk has like said this best, like Samson, who was just on the pod two weeks ago, you know, Mark and I know reasonably well. Um, one thing that Samson always says is just this idea that good players and good teams are the players and teams that can do things consistently well, right? Not just can have a great game on a night to night, can have a great game, then a shitty game, then two great games, then three shitty games, right? It's that inconsistency that is the difference between. Pascal Siakam, you know, averaging 28, seven or 28, nine and seven, whatever he's averaging right now. And Scotty Barnes, who has games that are just as good as Pascal Siakam, like, you know, maybe a third of the time, but then his other two thirds of the games are not as good. Right. Mm -hmm. And as people that care about basketball and as people who want, uh, players to be great. Like you and I like root for players to be great. I think as much as anything, we want to hold up those moments that are just like absolutely elite, right? Those moments where a guy shows like the best flashes in the world. We want to be like, that's who that guy can be. That's who he's capable of being. And sometimes like consistency, just, you know, you can't do it on a night to night basis in the NBA. And that's the difference between being a rotation player and a starter, a starter and a superstar. The superstars do it every night. Starters do it you know, the starters might be able to play their role every night. It's a little bit more limited, but you know, a starter might be able to be a superstar a quarter of the games of the year. And then the rest of the games of the year, he might just be okay. Right. With the nuggets by getting more options, by getting as many wing options as they have with guys like Christian Brown, etc., they can just throw a lot of different problems, throw a lot of different solutions at the problem and see what sticks on a night-to-night basis. And I think that's really, really helpful for them. That's the kind of wing depth they didn't have, like having to play Davon Reed all the time. Davon Reed is one of five solutions that they can throw in a problem on a night-to-night basis. And if Davon is having a great night, or if Christian Brown's having a great night, great. You're in a good spot, right? You're in a great position to succeed at that point because you figured out which of the four guys has it on that night. That's why depth is important in the playoffs, even let alone in the regular season when it's a grind and you have to find different options. Like you need to find which guys can be great for you. um, Once out of every three games, basically, Mm -hmm. if you're a rotation player and with the nuggets bones Highland can be great for them once every three games but I think they need one more option to be great for them once every three games, basically, or once every two and a half games. And then you can add those numbers up. You add up 33%, you add up 40%. You're getting great production, 75% of games. 
So that's probably that, that puts you in a better position basically. So uh, that's kind of how I've been thinking about like trade deadline acquisitions for certain teams more and more like finding different things that you can throw at problems on a night to night basis. Yeah. I think the, I really like what you bring up there. Um, I think that's why wings are so fascinating and important. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're like the most important players in basketball, but in terms of like giving yourself actual flexibility, they definitely are. Um, most, like somebody, most important rotation players. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think like you're, yeah. I, I think the best way to put it is your star doesn't have to be a wing, but in terms of like filling out your rotation, you need a lot of guys who can do multiple things at multiple positions because it just makes it simpler to be not simple, um, which is like yeah. such a conundrum way to say it, but like best way to put it. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing with the nuggets that I want to see, like in terms of talking about trade deadline stuff, like I, I like like what you're saying. I think if there was an opportunity to add uh, another steady wing who, um, who can be more consistent, uh, or even just has like a little bit more size, I think that there's you know depending on what the the give up is, like there's interest in that for me. But like you're mentioning, I think getting another guard who can really not even necessarily be a three level scorer, but more just okay, they can they can play two man game but also they can get to the rim on their own. Like, I think that that is like the only thing that I would say is quote unquote missing. Um, yeah. Cause, cause like, I, I like bones can do it, but it's just, I think that, I mean like, and again, like, like you mentioned, I think if you are making a move for a different backup big, like that changes the calculus with calculus with bones, but at the same time too, like, okay, you're asking a lot for a second year player to be obviously like your second best guard creator. Um, come playoffs time, come playoff time, because I do think like, again, like Jokic changes things with that, but I do think that's maybe like the one thing, but even then that's like, I mean, this is a team that could eclipse 55 wins this year. So, um, but again, like you mentioned, everything comes down to playoffs. So I, I'm, I have appreciated the process of how they're starting to try things now. And I'm interested to see where it leads them by the trade deadline. I agree with you that I'm interested to see how they approach it. Because I, I do think if I was them, I think I have a real chance to win a title. I would be. I'm I mean, I'd to, be all in on being a buyer this year if I'm them. I'm trying to do something like for sure. Maybe it's maybe they're the team that tries to go get Eric Gordon. Like that. That's actually an interesting one for them. It's just like I actually don't know how they do that. Looking at mm. their like financial situation necessarily. Um, like you can. It'd almost be like, yeah, but like the Rockets have too many guys. Like the Rockets have a lot of rookie scale guys that they have to keep on their roster. They can't just like cut. It's a tricky one. Uh, but like in theory, like I wonder if they could get like a third team together and maybe they could try and get Eric Gordon because I think he'd be very, very helpful. It would be very, very good next to their star players. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Mark, it's time. The Mark Schindler prospect of the week. We're going to dive into Cam Whitmore, Villanova forward slash wing, whatever you want to call him. Six and seven, 225, 230-ish pounds, super explosive, shot creator, physical driving, powerful wing. Has had an up and down start to his college career, I think is the way to put it, at Villanova. Mark, this was your guy that you've been wanting to talk about for two weeks now. I kind of held you off last week yeah. because I thought we wanted a little bit more tape. And I knew that the matchup against Connecticut was forthcoming. 
tell me about Cam Whitmore. Tell me about what your history is. Tell me everything you want to dive into with Cam uh, before we even just really jump into the breakdown itself. Yeah, so I've known about Cam for a decent while because I know some people who work for Spalding, um, so which where he played in high school in Maryland. Um, so I my first like real time when I was like, okay, I'm gonna really dive in and watch. Um, I watched his AAU tape from his last year doing AAU, uh, and then obviously seeing him at Worlds this year too. Uh, so you get a pretty good idea, like just nutty vertical athlete for somebody who's six foot seven, like, like you mentioned, incredibly, incredibly explosive. Um, what I think already stands out a ton is like, and like you mentioned, there's a lot to, to dive into about what this year has been like for him so far, but the stride, it, it, for what it's worth one MVP of that world's tournament yeah, as well. was incredibly, incredibly good there. So I think like that's a one thing to really keep in note because obviously he had the thumb injury, which kept him out for the beginning of the year. So that's, that's been notable um, and has a really good uh, pre college track record um, in terms of what his play has looked like. Um, but yeah, it's the, the explosiveness, the driving ability on top of like his shot really improved later in his high school career and went into becoming like a pretty real shot creation prospect and guy who's like it. And when you have somebody six foot seven that can get to the rim kind of at will and is incredibly strong and has some handle, like, okay, you're cooking with grease. That's an exciting player. Um, I think we've seen some of that stuff at Villanova early um, in terms of the, okay, like you've seen him willing to pull from three. He's taken a couple – he's shooting 25% from deep, but I don't feel bad about his shot. Like I think part of it's shot selection, which is what we'll get into for sure. Um, But then like the stride stuff has been there, of course. Like he's had a couple of terrific dunks. You've seen – uh, some really tough makes in traffic. You've also seen some tough misses in traffic. Um, I think the biggest thing is like in terms of like trying to parse through what he's going to be. I need to see how he fits in the offense as time goes on. Like I, I don't want to give like too definitive of a take right now because um, to be fair, like just to be blunt, he has not fit well um, in their offense yet. And, and I think that's led to a lot of what his playing time can be like. Um I mean, I just like went through watching the St. John's and Villanova game, like marked down every time he got pulled out and why. And it was like, okay, well, he took a shot out of the flow of the offense. He held the ball for 10 seconds while dribbling into an isolation and ended up turning the ball over. Like he gets pulled for reasons that make sense. But also like it's been uh, – I think that the the UConn game was a lot better for him in terms of overall like offensive process and seeing – how he's just trying to to be part of it. It still wasn't perfect. Um, and again, it's more like you see a lot of the, I I get why you are this high level prospect from what you're doing physically and the shot creation potential and driving, but also like it's, I, I think it's kind of like we talked to it in a different way, like like we talked about with Jarris at the beginning of the year in terms of acclimating to the college level. I don't think he's there yet on either end. He's looked more comfortable of late, um, but I am very interested to see what this looks like in a month. Yeah, the Whitmore one is complicated and it's almost more complicated than Jarris because Jarris like is just trying to fit into a great team that is great, has great guard play, has veterans, has talented youngsters around Jarris. Like there's a lot there. Villanova's offense and its offensive execution. I mean, I know that they're like top 15 in offensive efficiency it right now. It does not feel like uh, it when nationally. you watch them. It does not feel that way when you watch it. Did you yeah. see my tweet I, I think yesterday? it's in – no. 
What was I it? basically so I I I'm interested to see what you think. I basically said Villanova are the I mean the Raptors are the Villanova of the NBA. Um because that watching this Villanova team, I just feel like I'm watching the Toronto Raptors play basketball a lot of the time. Jump stop Raptors, basically. Is that, <laughs> yes. is that what we're talking here? Jumps, I um, shout out to Eric Dixon with like did, I think he hit like seven pivot pivot spins in a row in the game against UConn. Um, beautiful on one move that was unreal. I also I love watching Eric Dixon play, but no, it's the we all of our creation comes through strength based stuff, and we're and we're not really actually creating space. It's just we're scoring over you because we're strong and have a lot of wings. Um, that's the Villanova experience this year. Um, yeah, no, nothing they do is easy. It feels like. yeah. Yeah, that's the way to put it. Um, yeah, n- nothing they do is easy from the fact that I think they struggle to initiate their offense. Like Mark Armstrong is playing point now and he has a um, one to two assist rate to turnover rate. Uh, Chris Archdiakno has played some point. He just isn't good enough. <laughs> like, uh, honestly, like he can be a good backup point guard, but like he's not good enough to be a starting point guard. I think is reasonable to say in the big East, uh, you know, Angelo Brizzy, it looks like he's transferring. Haven't been a huge fan of his minutes. Like they just don't have a point guard. that can get guys easy shots. Uh, Caleb Daniels has taken over some of the offense. He's more comfortable as a scorer. I guess I've liked the offense more when he's been on the ball, just because it does feel like he at least just knows the offense well enough now to make the right reads, get the right guys in the right spots, like everything like that. Uh, It's just that none of it feels easy. And it's not to say that it's not well spaced because Eric Dixon is a legit three point shooter that like teams do guard out there now. Um, For whatever reason, teams guard Brandon Slater out there as well is like a legit shooter. It feels like. Um, I swear I got Brandon Slater's played at Villanova since like 2013. It feels like it's been forever, right? Uh, Team certainly guard Caleb Daniels out there from three. So like it's it's not a poorly spaced offense. It's just an offense that I think is almost in desperate need of a creator. And I think that when Cam comes in, he feels like he can be that guy. And it's sometimes it looks nothing like what Villanova typically is, I guess, which is like, so in the flow, just running offense, running an offense for 30 seconds at a time, finding that good shot. Well, they have even less ability to separate. It feels like than what a normal Villanova roster has. And I think when Cam comes in, he thinks he can be that guy maybe a little bit more. And the results are hit or miss, I think yeah. is the way to put it. That's a great way to put it. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this too. He's slipping a lot. Like his, it's almost felt like his strides are too long at times. Um, like he mm. really, uh, like that's been a big issue for him. A lot of his turnovers are come off, coming off of like, um, like he, like he hasn't even felt comfortable jumping at times. Like, Obviously, you still see the vertical pop because of how nutty of an athlete he is. But it's, uh, I think, especially in the St. John's game, you saw like like the stride stop stuff is really good, um, or interesting, I should say. It's not always good, but the uh, like it almost feels like he doesn't quite have his feet under him. And again, I think part of that is like just getting acclimated to the college level. But it has stood out because it pops in every game. Um, 
So that's been a little bit odd to notice. But like you mentioned too, like he every time he tries to run a ball screen, it doesn't feel like in the flow of the offense. Um, like there was a play where um, – and, and everything is – and again, part of this is noting too, like he's 18, 19 years old, so there's going to be growing pains. But like everything has felt very premeditated. A lot of passes I think are right idea, but it's staring a guy down or pretty clear that he's going to make that read. Like um, like the the velocity and like actual ball placement isn't bad, but it's just, again, like it's like, okay, I'm, I'm making this decision before it's happening. And it's how it feels with a lot of his shots too. Um, and that's part of why I think some of the shot selection has been tough because it isn't coming in the flow like you're missing. A lot of it's like, okay, well, I'm going to take over here. And also that's part of what's leading him being on the bench. But that's also like – that's a difficult part of being on this roster because who really is creating? Like I am interested to see, like, I feel like they did more of it in the, in the Yukon game with Eric Dixon running dribble handoffs. Um, yeah. I think that's yep. probably the way that they need to go because he is actually a pretty good DHO playmaker, but it's, I mean, exactly. Like there's just not a lot there in terms of actually creating stuff. So it's, you're either asking him, okay, well create or don't. And it's, it's a very odd boundary. Um, I, I well, I, I guess where do I want to go next? Uh, in terms of like, how have you felt about the defense? <laughs> the, like he's a freshman and is yeah. still figuring out where he needs to be rotationally and in team defense. Defense uh, when yeah. he's when it he's was, on ball, I think he's okay. Yeah, it's yeah. all of the other stuff that I think is he's still look he. Practice. He probably wasn't practicing a ton, and it feels like a guy that missed a big part of the season early on, and missed a big part of the preseason, particularly, and is just maybe like a step behind everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's the same thing with 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 that. Like I, um, it's the kind of thing where I'm like, this is not great right now, but I'm, I'll I'll have a better opinion on it, or I'll have a I'll have an opinion. I feel like sharing in in like another yeah. five games because it was drastically better from like the first couple of games to even again, like the game against UConn wasn't great, but I think he's yeah. the best way for me to describe it on both ends of the floor is that he's trying to UConn is him. hard as well. Like yeah, UConn, UConn is really, UConn really hard, really hard. Their offenses they put you through play. an absolute ringer in terms of off ball action. They are hard to guard. Like, even if you try to hide someone on like Alex Caravan, Alex Caravan's like running off shit. So mm-hmm. UConn's hard. Like I, I, UConn is a good test, but like the UConn game for Villanova that I'm interested in is on March 4th when they play UConn in the last game of the year, yeah. because I, I think that that'll be a better test for Whitmore in terms of what he's learned at that point. How does he adjust to what's happening? Yeah, yeah. no, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, but like the, I think the way that I would describe him right now is that he's trying to home run hit everything. And I want to see him just, Go for singles and doubles. Do the consistent thing. Find his flow in the offense. Because even on defense, like, again, he was better at it in the game against UConn, but he's trying to jump for every steal. Like, so, so he's here, really here'd trying be, to make things happen. Here would be where I would ask you this. Like, what is a single or a double for him? Because, again, like, to me, a single or a double is, okay, I'm going to run the offense with Villanova. I'm going to run within the offense. We're going to try and get something easy nothing's easy. Like th- yeah. there isn't like a, you know, a single or a double that's there oftentimes. Um, you know, you have to, it's a foul, like you're fouling the ball off. It feels like a lot of the time more than hitting singles and doubles within their half court offense. So 
what the singles and doubles actually look like for you when Villanova's point guards like can't really feed him the ball like on a cut, right? Yeah, sure. I guess that's a good point. Um, I think the single or double would be more just trying to read and react a little bit more instead of just mm. predetermining stuff. Um, like don't and again, like that's easier said than done. But I think that's the idea. Obviously, um, yeah. Like Eric Dixon comes out for a dribble handoff. You're on the opposite wing. You know, point guard comes up, takes the dribble handoff on the wing. You 45 cut from the opposite wing and try and get an easy bucket that way. Maybe. Yeah, because it's and the kind of offense hope that where the guard sees you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's the kind of offense where I think you're really going to, um, like, even if you're playing the right way, I think it's gonna be hard to. It, you're not gonna be noticed as much. But I think if you aren't playing the right way, you're going to be noticed a lot more for probably not the great things, unless you're shooting in like ungodly. Um, Because I think what's really tough is when you're playing an offense like that, if they're, if it's stagnant and there's not a ton of stuff going on and there's the ball's not really moving side to side, then it's going to look like shit. And that's what it's looked like for the most part. Like, yeah. So here's the thing that's worried me a little bit about Whitmore. What have you thought about the handle going toward the basket? And like the footwork going toward the basket. I think that that's been, because in theory, that's what should be open with the way that Villanova's offense works, playing the five man away from the rim. I felt like he's struggled a little bit in that respect early on. I think that his shake getting to like his pull up is really good. I think that like his handle trying to like pick up the ball and like put his shoulder into a guy or using the power that like we know that he has, hasn't been quite as good as what I was hoping it would be. At times yeah, this year. I would agree. I think that's uh, kind of like I mentioned earlier with the slipping a little bit, that's always come yeah. downhill. Like when he's trying to go downhill, it feels like, again, like his strides are like too far in front of him at times. Um, and I think like you're mentioning, like it's the footwork to actually go downhill just hasn't really been there yet. Um, it's also the kind of thing where I feel like that, I think that's going to improve as he gets more more used to it. Because it yeah. feels like, again, like part of the premeditation, his feet are like moving before he even catches the ball. Like it just, everything feels kind of out of sync. Um, so I think that's going to improve. Obviously, like it needs to, if that doesn't improve, then I'll be a lot, a lot more concerned. But yeah. um, again, just like based on everything that we've seen before college, like I'm not too worried about it. It's more like I was hoping that we'd see it right away. But um, I think as we get deeper into Big East play, uh, we're going to see more of that. At least that's yeah. again, that's the hope. But yeah, I because especially too, like you're mentioning, like the the side to side dribble has looked awesome. The the pull up yeah. stuff has looked awesome. Um I, I also think for for what it's worth, this is something I've talked about like in respect to like missing stuff on Scotty Barnes, right? Like I think I miss the fact that these guys that are like big, powerful, physical wings that are like six, seven or taller, they can struggle with the constraints of just like the college basketball court because there are just going to be guys around in the paint more often than there are in the NBA. I think that like just that little bit of extra space in the mid range area is really going to help him in terms of finding those little creases and little driving lanes. It it will make him more effective as a driver uh, at the next level than what he is at Villanova, but it hasn't been incredible so far. I think is the Mm -hmm. way to put it. Yeah, no, for sure. I would agree with that. Okay. Schindler game time. Oh boy. This is where I asked Mark Schindler, would you take this prospect or that prospect in respect this time to Cam Whitmore? Uh, typically I start a little bit lower on the board and then slide up as we go. Uh, 
Okay. Would you take Cam Whitmore or Bryce Sensabaugh? Whitmore. I agree with you. Uh, I almost made you talk about Bryce Sensabaugh today because that can be our next week guy. I I quite like Bryce a lot. I am a big fan of Bryce Sensabaugh. I'm a big fan of the shot creation. I think that some of draft Twitter is getting a bit aggressive. Um, talking about him as like, oh my God, this is like a top three pick, top five kind of guy. I don't quite see that because I think he is not quite good enough defensively at this point. And um, I think a lot of the shots he's generated so far, he's made difficult shots, um, which maybe he can just do that. Like, But it's just harder when you're six foot six to live off of that diet of shot in the NBA. Well, it's kind of like what happens, and this is not me trying to be unfair or low on him but it's like what happens when he stops hitting you know 65 percent on pull-up twos like and that's been a lot of a shot diet and it's like again it's been awesome to watch but um yeah if, if he hits 50 percent on pull-up twos that's like an all nba level and he's shooting higher than that right now like that that's this is where we're at right i mean I really like Bryce and I have him as a top 20 guy. I, I just think we need to slow down a little bit yeah. based off the shot diet. For sure. Um, okay. Jarris Walker or Cam Whitmore? Uh, I think it would depend on the team, but I'd probably go Cam. I would go Cam. Um, Asar Thompson or Cam Whitmore? Uh, ooh, I think I'd go sore. I'd have, I mean, Thompson twins are in the top four for me pretty unquestionably. I would have them over cam right now. Undecided for me. Look on my current board. I think well, I if I know I could have said undecided, I think I would have said undecided. Yeah, no. but yeah, I think, I think I would go a sore over cam. I think I would go cam over okay. a sore. I like the frame a little bit more. I like the shot projection a little bit more. Um, None of it is easy, though. Mm -hmm. Um, Brandon Miller or Cam Whitmore? Uh, Cam, for sure. Okay. Uh, Anthony Black or Cam Whitmore? Cam Whitmore. Okay. And then, like, there's no way that you're taking Cam over Scoot Henderson, right? No, not at all. Okay. So, somewhere in the five to seven range. On you yep. for Cam Whitmore, right? Yep, now. that's where I'll be right now. I'm in like the four to four to five, four to six range. Um, I really like Cam. I think that like almost what we've seen this year is an interesting sample, yet almost not representative of what uh, he is capable of showing. Mm-hmm. In part because of the injury at the start of the season, and in part because Villanova's just not all that good. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to watch where this goes from here, Mark. Please tell the people where they can find your work. Please tell the people what's going on in your life. You can tell me find what's me. Up. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Uh, that's where I'm most active, where everything's going to be. Um, I feel like I need to write a million things uh, in the next couple of days, including like one of the bigger things we've ever worked on. So it's going to be a long week. It's going to be a good week, but yeah, a long week. Um, what else is up? Uh, I mean, I'm just excited. I feel like I, I'm probably going to re- release like my first board soon because I feel like I'm finally ready to to kind of be at that with how I've seen everything I've developed this year. So, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when that happens. But, yeah, I appreciate you, Sam. This was fun, man. Mark, you are a youth. 
I think that that is a fair way to describe that you. That is a fair you're way to describe a, me. You're a youth of 25, 26. Can't remember. 25. You are. You're one of the two. Um, have you watched Wednesday yet on Netflix? I have not. It is. I've heard of it. I have not watched. I know it's the General Ortega one, right? Yes. It is terrific. It is uh, one of my favorite things I've seen this year, I think. I just genuinely really enjoy it. Well, it's on um, the watch list. Yeah. It is awesome. Uh, I think it's the best thing Tim Burton has done in, he directed the first four episodes. I think it's the best thing Tim Burton's done in like 15 years. Okay. Wow. All right. So that's really good. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how good that is. Cause like, if you look through Tim Burton's like track record, well, yeah, it's not yeah, great recently, yeah. but I genuinely think like, it's the best thing Tim Burton's done in a very, very long time. Maybe even like 20 years. Uh, really, really good. Really, really fun show that I've okay. enjoyed substantially it is that oeuvre that macabre aesthetic that tim burton is so well established and known for um jenna ortega is phenomenal the the entire show is great i have a great time with it every single time i put it on i think i'm through like six episodes okay well yeah that's definitely on the watch list i haven't gotten to watch really anything the last week or so um but i'm i'm hoping uh this weekend i get to catch up on some stuff and we'll have a lot more to talk about next week terrific i love it mark that's Mark Schindler over there. I'm Sam Vecini. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. I will have rookie rankings coming this week. I sent out a tweet asking, look, the, the way the rookie rankings are going to work now is I'm going to write about four guys. And one slot is going to be the people's pick. The people's pick in terms of who I write about for rookie rankings. Uh, I've gotten some great votes. It seems like Jalen Williams from Oklahoma City is in the lead right now. Uh, which one? You guys will have to let me know which one. <laughs> Um, but the people's choice right now is Jalen Williams. If you don't want it to be Jalen Williams, by all means, hit that link, hit that tweet, say the name that you want me to write about, and I will write about it. Um, the person that gets the most mentions, gets the most votes, basically wins, and they're the people's choice for this month for rookie rankings. So keep it locked here uh, and keep it locked over there because I'm actually going to start writing a bit more substantially coming up here in the new year. Until next time, though, we will talk soon. Bye.